Chumash Indian Reservation in Santa Barbara County is using Congress to push its weight against local rights. The California Democratic Party abandons the incumbent, Dianne Feinstein, and California police killed more than 170 civilians in 2017. That's what's coming up in this week's episode of California Streaming. You're listening to the California Streaming Podcast with Bobby, Jonathan, and Louie. We're just three conservative friends trying to provide some counterbalance in one of the most liberal states in the union. So let's hop on our magic choo-choo train to nowhere and talk some California politics. Good evening, gentlemen. Hello. Choo-choo. Magic choo-choo train. Another exciting summertime week in hot California. True, true. It's not so bad lately. No, it's been pretty nice, actually. We're here for the weather, right? I mean, it's pretty much what keeps us here. And the fires. <laughs> the the year-long campfires and uh, the weather. Mm-hmm. All right. A couple things to talk about. Found this really interesting article in the LA Times written by uh, former Governor Pete Wilson about the uh, Chumash Indian Casino in Santa Barbara County and in, in, in the San Inez Valley. Um, let me just read to you kind of how he starts it out. Uh, Let's see here. Congress is about to blow a huge hole in the plan by helping a single wealthy special interest group, the San Inez Band of Chumash Mission Indians, build a massive development in the valley over the vehemoth objections of residents. The battle has implications for all of California as well as the rest of the country. The San Inez Chumash tribe of fewer than 140 enrolled members reportedly earns $300 million a year from the reservation-based casino near the town of San Inez, and the tribe also owns more than 20 off-reservation properties, hotels, restaurants, gas stations, apartments, and a 1,427-acre parcel of open space nearly two miles from the casino. So the Chumash want to build 143 new homes for tribal members and a 12,000-square-foot community center with parking for 200 cars on the open space parcel, uh, they're calling it Camp 4, which is supposed to remain largely agriculture land with only 14 residencies under the Valley plan. So the Valley has a specific plan, basically, uh, for those who haven't ever been up there. It's basically vineyards and rolling hills and uh, live oaks. It's, it's gorgeous. Um, it's part of its appeal, its attraction right. for tourists, it's, right? It's the Santa Barbara wine country. Yeah the quintessential Santa Barbara wine country. Uh, and then in the middle of San Inez, you have this kind of out of place, giant casino, modern esque casino with a big parking structure. And it's, you know, five or six stories tall, um, yeah. kind of a weird building in the middle of the Valley. Well, the Chumash weren't going to get what they wanted dealing with the local officials, the Santa Barbara County board of supervisors. So they basically went to Congress to push their way through and there's legislation now that would let them do whatever they wanted. So the implication is that any Indian casino in the state or maybe even countrywide could ignore local officials or the local plan and just kind of have carte blanche at what they want to do. So I thought that's pretty gnarly. Um, And I think this is a really good example because the Santa Barbara wine country is a thing. Like, that's its industry. Mm-hmm. And if you gave the Chumash Casino or the reservation kind of free will, there's an awful lot of land they could just take and build on. 
that wouldn't that would disrupt kind of the feel and the way the valley is. It's yeah, it's an interesting. We were talking a bit, little bit about this bef- before we started recording this episode. It's kind of interesting in that, you know, I'm not actually sure. I, I've probably seen a map before exactly what boundaries were, you know, way back when considered Chumash land. But at some point, they benefit from keeping the area like it is, drawing in people. I had a, I had a family member who I think just last week uh, came up, uh, with, did some wine tasting in the area, et cetera. And I mean, if, obviously creating a, uh, an exaggerated example here, but if all of this turned into uh, housing, et cetera, then, then people aren't going to be up here to do that, to do the wine tasting, to then possibly go to the casino and spend money. Well, I think the, the crux of this thing is the actual annexation of land going into now considered tribal territory. And this is a big thing because obviously uh, they're their own sovereign-ish Nation, when yeah. it comes down to uh, this kind of uh, situation. Uh, so they have their own rules, but they're obviously governed by the United States to a certain extent. Uh, but we do have uh, plenary power when it comes to their uh, their status. I mean, we have a whole committee for the Indian Affairs, and we still call it the Indian Affairs. <laughs> right, and so the BIA plays a big role because... Um Predictably, the county moved in to stop them from building, basically. And on the last day of the Obama administration, the Bureau of Indian Affairs quietly granted this fee-to-trust petition to the Chumash to basically annex Camp 4 to the reservation, which is more than a mile and a half away. Uh, So the county, Santa Barbara County, then filed a federal suit challenging the BIA's decision, and then the Chumash began to play hardball, essentially. So they went to Representative Doug LaMalfa, who's uh, out of Richvale. H.R. 1491. <laughs> Excellent. That's why we have you here. <laughs> you're, the, you're the legislation guy. Uh, his district is a little bit away, 430 miles to the north, uh, and he introduced a bill that affirmed the BIA's decision, and it blocked all legal challenges, which that in itself is pretty crazy. And then... Uh, basically, the bill muscled the county soups into dropping their lawsuit and into a deal that's pretty absurd. So the tribe won't build a casino at Camp 4. They can't do that, but it can proceed with its housing and community center plans without any more local input. So no California environmental review in an area that's hugely ag and, and open space. No country, No county property taxes, only a little tiny annual fee. And there's no limits on how the tribe can draw from the region's main aquifer underlying Camp 4. And no promises the Chumash aren't clearing out its reservation housing for another expansion of the casino complex, which already floods the town of 4,400 residents with 9,000 visitors daily. So them them giving up building a new casino was like no big deal. They already have a huge casino. And after 22 years, it sunsets and the tribe can put whatever it wants there. Exactly. Um, so they just have to get 22 years worth of expansion possibilities out of the current casino site. Right. And they can move things around. So they can essentially take the current housing that is zoned for a casino, move all that to Camp 4, and then build out the, the yeah, current right. casino land. Right. Right. 
and they don't have to add anything to the protection. So, like, they're covered by the Sheriff's Department and Santa Barbara County Fire, and they don't have to put anything into that. Isn't that what I... Maybe I misread in the article, but that, that's some of what the, when you said a small amount, I think it's like $170,000, $180,000 a year or something that is, I thought they were saying in theory is supposed to go towards those sorts of support efforts because they know that they're going to be using roads and they know they're going to be using, you know, uh, services in the San Inez Valley. Right. But it's a fixed cost for the next 22 years. You know? Right. I'm not, I'm not saying it uh, squares up. But right. technically, that's well, what that is, right? And you don't know what they're doing, right? So they're actually paying for housing on Camp 4 while then simultaneously being able to mass develop the old housing that's on the casino zoned property, right? So you could be paying a rate based on the the apartment homes they're building on Camp 4 when in reality, it's a shell game. They're just moving people over there to expand the casino, which could bring tenfold what just standard housing is going to bring. The one thing that I thought was interesting, it did seem like it had, uh, though there were a lot of people in favor of the agreement that had come together that typically aren't together on an issue. And honestly, I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Like who? So uh, Santa Barbara County Firefighters Association, uh, Mayor Buellton, Solving City Councilwoman Joan Jameson, Santa Barbara Taxpayers Association, trade unions. Um, some of those make sense. Uh, trade unions, right, are going to help probably in construction. Sure. Um, but it just seemed like even um, I think Andy Caldwell um, yeah. made the comment Good that friend. yeah, a lot of people who are at some of these meetings were in agreement, and he kind of made the comment, this is interesting, we're never in agreement that this is a good or this is a reasonable thing. The best I could take away was it's kind of reasonable because in some ways, from what you said, Louis, Correct me if I'm wrong, but the Chumash are willing to talk, and technically they don't even have to, right? They're 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 kind of trying to play nice, and so I get the sense a lot of people are just saying, "Look, if they're willing to give us anything, awesome," because technically they don't have to do squat. Well, and and I know too that the Chumash does give a lot of um, donations to local, you know. That's right. That's right. The unions and things like that. Nothing um, like preying on a bunch of people's vices in order to give a whole bunch of uh, donations to no, people. No, right. I, I, I'm just justifying why you would have people in on it because I'm sure there's been money given all the way around at some point of to things course. that benefit. I, I also know that the, the reservations help finance some county fire things in the valley. So oh, okay. I did read the statistic. I think this is probably pretty recent and accurate. I think I, maybe it was from the article. Uh, 140 enrolled members in the Chumash and they reportedly earned $300 million from the casino. It's a ton of cash. Yeah. Is that revenue? Uh, it is, but but still, I mean, take a healthy, you know, expense cut yeah, off of that. Well, they're divide through the by taxes we are. Divide through by 140? I mean, wow, that, that works out pretty well. Well, when it comes to... Casino game, gaming, or I'm going to say gaming, it's gambling. Uh, they're beholden to certain laws from the federal government. And at any time somebody gets irked, they can repeal that. They can repeal it anywhere. Not every single tribe out there has a casino, although that is changing quite rapidly these days. Right. And that's why you don't, you know, it's not a true Vegas style casino. There's no dice games. Um, that's usually the big one. 
But that's why you see a lot of casinos take to riverboats and stuff like that. Right. Because they get to kind of skirt the law a little bit that way. Because they're floating. Because they're floating. And they never move anywhere. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, but one of the big decisions that's coming out there, or it already happened, the Supreme Court uh, voted on it, which was uh, sports gambling, right. sports betting. And DraftKings and what's that other one? Uh, um, who's uh, it doesn't matter. Anyway, uh, they're all poised to be the, the main competitor for all these casinos because that's the... That's the real thing there. Now, the way they used to do sports betting with their their model is they used to say, okay, you, Louie, you're going to get a whole bunch of your friends. You're going to pony up some money, and you're going to gamble within your own little community of friends. And then uh, DraftKings gets 10% of the cut, and we shell out. Well, that's the problem. That's the problem. As long as the house doesn't take a cut, it's not illegal. It's not illegal. But now they can Right. Now they can. And so now all these little casinos, the Chumash one in particular, uh, they're going to have to really compete with these other entities. And these entities don't have brick and mortar shops. They're- well, and they're typically overseas. Like if you if you want a sports, if you sports book like on Bovada or something like that or the old Bodog, like you're you're actually they're overseas somewhere and you're betting and and. Vegas has some apps, but unless it detects that you're on an IP in Vegas, it won't let you access any. Oh, interesting. So I've I've had apps that I've looked at in Vegas, and you can sports bet, and then I'm like, oh, how would it know? And then I get to California, it doesn't work anymore. VPN. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. So, yeah, all those things though are usually like overseas on an island. Um, Good old Caymans. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting. Way back in undergrad. I did a whole project on bringing sports booking to California and how that would be a revenue generator. And I'm going to totally whiff on the numbers here, but it was pretty astronomical. It was like, I don't know, 60 to 70% of Nevada's sports booking is actually done by Californians. Mm. And it was like a billion or $2 a year in profit to Nevada and how California is missing out on that pretty easy to pick revenue stream you know they just go a couple hours to the east and bet over there but in terms of the reservation i I think we were talking about this off air like at what point have they consumed enough land yeah Uh, they're gonna they're gonna annex it back piece by piece and that's and that's and that's different not saying like okay they they had land you know all the myriad of discussions in the past of how it was taken etc but okay is is there a point where it's a coming together in an agreement of okay here's are we in agreements here's your what you want good done great or is there just this potential for annexing into perpetuity well there's and i i think it's different in different in different parts of the country cuz i think there's some really really more, uh, there's more contentious indian government uh feuding in other parts of the country than, say, California. Um, but you also get into the whole, God, this thing goes like down a whole race path if you really want, where it's like, well, you took all of our land and we can never have enough land. Right. right. There's that argument. And right. then there's, you look at life on a reservation and it's typically not great. There's a lot of poverty on the re- reservations. You know, we were talking about poverty up in San Francisco in the last episode. These reservations have, 
a lot of violence, a lot of crime, oftentimes high poverty rates, uh, a lot of vice issues like drug addiction, alcoholism, stuff like that. So it's not like life on the pro- on the on the reservation is great. Um, but I don't know when enough reparations have been paid. Like, sure. and that comes up with all sorts of things. Like, can you ever pay off atrocities of the past? Like, well, that it, can anything ever be solved? The, the the moving target. It's a moving right. target, right? I mean, but eventually, we got 140 people left in the tribe. Just 140. Eventually, they'll be the last of the Mohicans, as it were. And when when is it? Are they no longer considered Chumash anymore? When are they just considered Cal- Californians? Yeah, sorry. whatever, whatever. Sure. The majority of it, because they're really at the most part. Most of them are not full-blooded Chumash, there's probably no such thing anymore. And, right. you know, they're probably, I don't know, Hispanic or white or whatever. When do we decide that they're no longer members and this whole thing was pointless? I'm not going to make that call. Yeah, no clue. <laughs> no clue. But we, we we do tend to, you know, do a lot of leaps and bounds for... um the stretching of considering the ethnicity for American Indians or Native Americans, whatever way you want to determine. I mean, I got a lot of Native American in me, but nobody gives a damn about what I get because my heritage is not from the United States and thus not accustomed to the... Yeah, you're the wrong Indian. I'm the wrong kind. Uh, not that I that we didn't have a massacre in where my family history originates, but they don't care around here. I don't get to go down south and say, hey, I'm I'm quite a bit of ethnically uh, native here. Give me a check for something. Give um, me your land. Give me your land. I need lots of that. No, I don't, I don't get that. And most people don't want that. They, they want it to be over. You know, this is... It's something that happened in the past. Was it bad? Sure. Can we blame Biscuit? Yeah. Why not? John, you're just a terrible person. During a time when it was the norm, I think that's the, like, Dennis Prager makes this point about, yes, America had slavery. At a time when everybody had slavery, we were the first country to constitutionally abolish slavery, but there's never any credit for that. It's always, well, there were slaves. You guys had slaves. True. Everybody had slaves. It proves the point in the last episode of the Yelp reviews. It's always the complaining. Right. It's never thank you or awesome. Right. No, there's, well, there's, well yeah, there's always a complaint element. And I, I don't know if you can ever pay for atrocities fully, but during a time when it was the norm, you know. Speaking of atrocities, mm. how do you like that segue? That was a good one. This one's pretty interesting because... This is a big one in the state. Diane Feinstein, who's been in office since I was a little boy, since 1992, U.S. Wow. Senator. She's 85 years old. She um, she won the vote in the uh, in our primary handily. Handily, right. uh, she won by a large margin against her competitor. Uh, but the Democratic Party has decided to not endorse her which is pretty gnarly. So she beat um, De Leon 
Kevin DeLeon. Uh, let's see, she got 2.3 million votes, and he got 638,000. Just as a reminder, for those listening who may not be familiar with the California election system, right, we, we're a top two uh, system. So we, we're going to be voting on two Democrats. Two Democrats. That's why this is big, because two Democrats, one of which is Feinstein, the other is DeLeon, are the choices. That's it for the choices for governor or and, for uh, Senate. And what a choice we have. Right. And so two Democrats, unlike other uh, states, the Democrats had a choice on this one. And like Louis said, they chose DeLeon. So here's the power struggle. And when we're, I always consider the Democrat party and all of them across the state or across the nation as being, a huge mafia. Okay. I'm going to get in trouble for saying it, but no, you've, uh, we've talked, about we've this talked before. about this. They're really built around being this kind of coordinated effort based on the geographical location. And you can kind of circle the way the federal banks are regulated or mapped out. And that's how their own little cabals are mapped out. And Nancy Pelosi runs the California cabal, the mafia here, the Democrat party here. Okay. She, she speaks for California, for Oregon, for Washington, for Hawaii. Okay, but so I stop yeah. you right there. Does this seem like a decision of hers? It doesn't to me. It doesn't. This is the power struggle here yeah. and now. Okay. And we saw it in the beginning when Trump was first elected. They went, oh my God, how can this be? It's obviously a failing of the old guard. Therefore, we must... Bring usher in a new guard. We must weed out the old, bring in the new. Okay, so this is the gigantic effort. Now, this is you know we've seen it with Nancy Pelosi, and she's trying to let everybody know her relevancy in the whole party system. She still generates a lot of money, but who wants the top spot? And that's that's our favorite Camilla Harris. Oh, I'm sorry. Hillary, Hillary. Uh, uh, yeah, that that lady with no experience and uh, sleeping to the top of the. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, did I say that? Uh, yeah, so she wants the top job from Nancy Pelosi. Eventually, she'll want to make a presidential run, so she needs to be in charge of the cabal. Once she gets in charge of the cabal, then she must actively seek the support of other uh, regions and their support and their uh, electoral college votes. So it all works. This is why Hillary Clinton's such a, a force to be reckoned with when it comes to the uh, to the electoral vote matters. She owns her own cabal in New York, and she also owns the Southern region, and she also owns the California region because she's friends with Nancy Pelosi. That's why she just walked right into the presidential election and didn't consider Bernie Sanders as a threat. No, oh, no, that was all fair. Well, that was all well. The DNC took him out too. Yeah. Oh, oh, they did? I mean, I wonder if, is the clout really there or is it perceived to be there? Because Sanders picked up quite a bit of steam, so much so that they were scared of him and actively thwarted his progress, right? And then we... Yeah, you don't, you don't, uh, you're not Donna Brazil and giving questions to Hillary Clinton the night before right. a debate if there's not something to be concerned about. Right, exactly. And so I get what you're saying, Bobby, but at the same time, I'm like, I wonder if it's as especially now more than ever, if it's as strong as you or we think it is. Well, when it comes to Bernie Sanders, they're going to squash him right out of the gate. 
And when I say that, you don't be surprised if his wife is indicted for fraud on her little uh, school venture that we never hear anything about. But surprise, surprise, we'll hear about it in the next presidential election for some damn reason. They'll make sure he goes away. They'll find a reason. It might be his son, who's now a politician himself, or it might just be Bernie. They'll find a reason to squash him because they don't want him in the, in the mix. But that's, we're getting away from it. I mean, we're also looking at a different, a different fight. And it's, uh, I pulled it up. Uh, Linda Sanchez wants to lead the House Democratic Caucus. She's a rep- representative of California itself. Yeah. So she's making a bid to be the next Nancy Pelosi, as it were. She wants to rule this this little kingdom. What area is, uh, is she from? Uh, she is Southern Cal somewhere. From the Whittier area. Yeah, yeah, okay. Southern Cal. Yeah. So she, uh, she wants to, it's all about growing in ranks. They, they want to just keep going up the ladder. And they generally come from areas where they have no opposition, where it's a stranglehold of a, of a count. There's California. Majority. Well, I think what's fair to say, and you're alluding to it, but there's, there's people coming in from multiple sides on Pelosi. I yeah. mean, the more that she gets up in these pressers, stutters, can't remember a word, you know, says, I don't know, Putin's the head of North Korea. I mean, you know, she says some crazy stuff now. Yeah. Um, the more of that kind of stuff that goes on, um, the more of this, there's definitely blood in the water Yeah, and they sense it and they, they're going, okay, we need to take her over. It, it, it's all in Nancy Pelosi's ability to fundraise. As long as she, she can go up onto a platform, say some ridiculous stuff and somebody writes her a check, it's all good. Once people start looking at her and going, I'm not going to write a check to this crazy woman anymore. Right. Forget it. Game's over. Right. They are looking at Harris really hard as being the next torchbearer. But again, can she produce the funds? And it, it's looking like she can. But do the Democrats really think that De Leon can beat Feinstein? I mean, they must, right? Or is it more of just a slap to Feinstein regardless of what she does? Or are they just trying to show the DNC that they're out to make change. There's a lot of stuff wrapped up in this, um, this nomination one where the party is going in general. I think we'll get to that in a second Uh, Two, uh, that she should have gracefully bowed out while they still had a majority in, in California. They go, okay, you've been in there long enough. You should have stepped out, but you didn't. Now can you just play dead and we'll bring in the next guy? She's going to be 90. Yeah. If she wins. Yeah. Well, I think and and just to make the whole endorsement even more resounding. So, in California, the Democratic Party's executive board is comprised of 333 voting members. Uh 65% of the vote or 217 votes out of the 333 went to De Leon. 22 votes or 7% went to Feinstein and 94 members abstained, which that's a huge, more people abstained than voted for, for her, right? 22 voted for her and 94 stepped back. And that leads me to believe 94 maybe wanted to vote for her, but didn't want to be 
They would be vote. ostracized and exactly. kicked out of the party. They'd be replaced really quick. And that's where the direction of the Democrat Party, especially in California, is headed. We're headed to super leftism. We're headed to total Marxism. They they got really comfortable with the supermajority that they had, and they, they wanted to emulate that across the entire nation. So let me ask the question. We said it earlier. She still won by, what, 30 points? Now, so so okay, I, I get what I get what you're saying, but is this all going to really matter? Here come comes the, here comes the the kicker. The real thing is that Republicans had a vote too, declined the states had a vote too, and when they looked at it, they saw Deleon in there and they saw Feinstein, and they saw 33 other people who were running for senator, and they went, okay, since I got to choose one of these chuckleheads. Which one am I going to choose? Well, the same lady who's been representing us since Louie was in diapers. Well, the other thing, too, is uh, the June survey by the USA poll, Feinstein led De Leon by 24 points, 46% to 24%, and 31% was undecided. So I feel like there, there's votes up to grab, but unfortunately there's no Republican challenger because of the top two system. Right. I mean, right. it's just them running against each other. Yeah. And so, so what What Republican that's going into the ballot box who let's assume they're going to vote for Cox, right? Right. What What Republican who does that is also then going to go to the Senate category and go, you know what? I think that Daily Own guy well, is pretty good. This is going to be the, see that happen. Well, this is going to be the play by, uh, or it has to be the play from uh, Feinstein is that, hey, this De Leon guy, he's pretty crazy. He's super left. I need those Republican votes. I am reaching across the aisle for your votes, and she's going to get it because there's a lot of Republicans out there who are going to go look at this De Leon guy and do exactly that. They're going to assess that he's super lefty and crazy. Well, it's like we talked about with Jerry Brown, right? I mean, Moonbeam is Moonbeam, but he could have been a lot worse and a lot more liberal. Right. And, oh, we're about to see. Right. Yeah. And, and compared to Gavin Newsom. Oh, we worked him in there. Give me Jerry Brown, right? I mean, it's kind of the same play on that where you're going to see someone like Gavin is extremely left. Extremely. More than we've seen. Uh, that Brown actually tempered a lot of the far left in the state. Right. And and Feinstein might be like that too, although, you know, the the committees she's on, especially as it relates to firearms and things. I think she's super just out there, but well, super hypocritical, super hypocritical. Um, but well, maybe better than De Leon. You oh. can see the vast, um, because she's been in office for so long where she had positions way back in the nineties and even in the two thousands that were far more middle of the road as it were. And, it's only recently where she's been pulled in the direction of crazy. It's not her fault. It's just kind of where the Democrats have been pulling her. Right. And they say, you better support transgender uh, something or other with, you know, something. You got you to gotta do something for us. It's all about, you know, minority rights and, and feel-good politics and, doesn't matter if it makes sense you just have to support it no matter what right it's the extreme far left movement of the state the whole victimization politics well yeah and she's she's an, she's been in there for an awful long time so she has seen california go a couple shades and now super blue 
Bobby, this is kind of your wheelhouse. How big of a deal? It sounds like one of the biggest factors that this provides is he's going to be on all the mailers. He's going to be on anything that gets hung on doors in local races, etc. It's going to be his name. Does that does that have any chance of closing some of at least that perceived gap that was in the primaries? How big of a factor are these sorts of mailers and him being included on the official the official marketing Democrat material mailer is the biggest uh, mailer in the in the state, mainly because you're endorsed by the Democrat Party and they will uh, they will put tons of money into it that's free advertisement and when the democrats go into their polling booth or they mail it in or however it's going to be done they will not bother to actually look up facts or statistics they will go to the mailer and they will vote down the line happens all the time so right now as it stands we're talking about what was it 46 percent of the state is democrat so they have that 46%. Will they all decide to vote for Dillion? Maybe. I would I would assume the majority, 80%, would probably do that. Do exactly oh, what really? they're told. Oh, really? That high? That high. I, I got to admit, I'm, I'm thinking back. Do you guys remember the movie The Distinguished Gentleman? Yeah. All, all I can think of is those, you know, Jeff Johnson, the <laughs> name you know. And that's what, that's how I feel that, that Feinstein's going to be in this one. Because she's not going to be on the mailer, but they're going to see Feinstein. Oh, yeah, Feinstein. She's our senator, or at least I remember that name. It's going to be interesting to see the effect of that versus, you're right, if they, if they bring this mailer into the, the booth, who knows? Well, and you're going to see probably a lot of easy pickings, attack ads from DeLeon. You know, been in office so long, old dog, new stuff. Like They're probably going to bring out the old immigration stuff that she was talking about in the 90s oh, yeah. when Bill Clinton was totally right. on board too. Right. How does this factor affect it? That the other thing I read is with two Democrats running against each other, this isn't exactly a ground zero for shift the Senate in in November. There, the, the 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 nationwide Dem party isn't going to put any money into this. They they're already going to lock up a Dem seat, right? Mm. So doesn't that help Feinstein? To well, some see, degree? now we're torn again. We're torn between the old guard and the new guard. Who do you want to support? Because obviously the Democrat Party by itself has selected De Leon to be the representative, not Feinstein. But Feinstein has old donors, and do they want to donate to her cause? Which is why she will have to heavily rely on outside money, Republican money, to get elected if she wants that. In the world of politics, is this considered super weird? What, what occurred? This right here, this right. race right here, yeah. yeah, it's super weird. It's super weird where you have a real challenge. Well, a I mean, massive displacement in votes between the two, and the underdog is the one being supported by the party. Like that seems pretty I, crazy. I, I feel like you'd have to look a while back in history to find something like it's a like statement. That. Yeah. I mean, it's nothing more than a massive statement. That's exactly. Yeah. It's a statement. Yeah. yeah. And what the outcome will be is, I, I have no idea. I, I imagine that Feinstein will pull it out with mostly Republican votes. And she's got to get at least 30, a third of the Democrat vote. Now, if she wins, does she just say F you to the party? Like, is there, is there a course for her once she's 
back in office to just really wreak havoc? Essentially, yes. So her ultimate goal would then be for the final remaining years of her life. Uh, career. Yeah. Her life is that uh, she will <laughs> be shaking his head. She will be interested in it's the crypt keeper in fixing the mafia, getting rid of these whippersnappers, pushing them aside and bringing in the ones who think like her. Because the problem is, is that they were reaching out for all these super lefties and they reap what they sowed. They got exactly what they wanted. They got a whole bunch of crazy people in diapers uh, doing crazy funkadelic things down the streets. And people are looking at that and going, is this the party we're rep- we're, we're encouraging? Uh, I get it that we don't like Trump, but we can be not like Trump with without being fools in the streets. Do you guys think her, her, well, let's assume she wins her fellow Senator Kamala. Do you think she, do you think Kamala is more De Leon like or more Feinstein? Like I'm hearing you describe what you just did, Bobby, right? I'm getting the sense from Kamala though, that she would fall more into the, the the diaper uh, camp, right? Yeah. Uh, She positioned herself as more of a Feinstein, but we all already knew who she really was. Uh, an Obama, essentially, yeah. that, that, that sort of play. But at the same time, we really had nobody else but Kamala Harris running. Right. We had Sanchez, who's, who wants to be, but she was actually a little bit more right Correct. at the time. So she's in this kind of weird, it's, it's, the, it's the party's fault for gravitating towards all these people all these diaper wearing people. So you think that's going to come back and, and Yeah, which which is why Feinstein would have to and uh Nancy Pelosi they're going to have to really really uh snuff the rooster on this one. They got to get rid of all these uh upstarts. That's why they cannot let Bernie Sanders take the the uh nomination next go round. They cannot because they will alienate most of America with that. I just read a poll amongst Democrats uh, nationally that says something like 70 plus percent of them are looking for a fresh face in 2020. We'll see. But to that point, it doesn't sound like, at least via polling, that they're looking for Hillary or Bernie or Joe Biden to run again. But we'll see. Joe Biden's fault. He didn't jump in. But again, it was Clinton's pull it was she laid the tracks and said this is my year i'm not going to put up with anybody other than straw men and that's what we got is another a bunch of straw men like for everybody listening does anybody remember hillary clinton's running mate no you don't because it didn't matter right you guys do politics i bet you guys don't even remember who it was it was the it was the guy from uh, Virginia. He was a he's a senator, right? <laughs> Someone like that. Somebody. His name was Kane. No, Tim Kane. No, that wasn't his name. Anyway, funny. Well, we'll have to monitor this and see what ends up becoming uh, of uh, the whole Democratic Senate race. After this conversation, I it, it does kind of pique my interest in watching the ads because oh, yeah. I could totally see the Feinstein ads 
you know, working in these conservative Republican themes. It's just going to be really funny. I have reached across the aisle. Correct. Right. Correct. And he's going to, as you hear the, as you hear the tombstone <laughs> roll, you know. And, yeah. And there, there's going to be a ton of old footage of her probably yeah. dug up from when Democrats were a lot more conservative than they are now. Yeah. Funny. All right. Our last story. This one's pretty interesting. Um, because I think it's super sensationalized, but it's nothing new. So there was an article that came out. California police killed more than 170 civilians in 2017. That sounds really impressive until you realize that there were over 1 million arrests in 2017 in California. But what does that mean, Louis? <laughs> so this is all, there's there's a bunch of moving parts, and it's an it's all a build-up to a new assembly bill, uh, and it's coming on the heels. Yeah, nine thirty-one. It's coming on the heels of a shooting that occurred in Sacramento not too long ago. So basically, uh, Stefan Clark was involved in a robbery. Well, there was a there was a report of somebody breaking into cars in Sacramento, and then the police helicopter circled above and saw him with a toolbar in the backyard of a home. Uh, by the time police got there, he had broke the rear sliding glass of an occupied home and was uh, attempting to make entry into that house. He takes off when he sees the cops. They go on a long chase through the neighborhood. Uh, the cops basically find him on the side of another house. They're hopping fences and everything else. He then turns around. It's dark outside. We're talking about like close to 10 o'clock p.m. Turns around with something in his hand. They assume it's a gun and they blast him, killing him. Turns out it was his cell phone. Uh, Nobody wants to pay attention to the fact that the guy was breaking into homes and vehicles, that he turned around and came towards the cops with something in his hand. Police told him. Well, it's dark. Well, it's dark. Police told him a ton of times to get down, to stop, and he got shot. I think you know, we have a clip here, John. Yeah, we got a clip. You want to play that clip real quick? Yeah, the uh, the training simulator? Yeah. Okay, here we go. This is just one of several different virtual scenarios. Hey, buddy, you live around here? A guy acting suspicious in a neighborhood and I, acting as a police officer, have to ask him a few questions. Okay, can I see some ID slowly? Let me see your hands. Let me see your hands. Chill out, man. The man reaches in his back pocket and pulls out his wallet. This drill ends well. I do it again. Same scenario. Show me some ID and, and keep your hands where I can see them, please. Yeah, look, I just live right over there. That's all. Why did you feel it necessary to shoot him? Because he pulled his gun on. He pointed it at me. And that made you believe? I, I was in fear for my life. Okay. Now you're reasonable. So I would have been justified in shooting him. Then. Yes, absolutely. So uh, for those that don't know, when an officer, at least in California, wants to use force, uh, or lethal force, it only has to be uh, a reasonable reasonable expectation that your life could be in danger. So uh, the U.S. Supreme Court has set precedent like three decades ago that police can kill suspects if a reasonable officer in a similar circumstance would have acted the same way. Uh, AB 931 is on the table that wants to basically change reasonable from necessary. And to me, I feel like necessary is a really sticky word because I don't know how a jury of ordinary people would know what's necessary from a law enforcement standpoint. 
And it strikes me like it's only ever uh, provable or definable in hindsight. Right. And needless to say, most pretty much all the California police officer associations are totally against this. Um, what you heard was a clip of a reporter in the firearm simulator, the training simulator that cops use. You're making a split-second decision. You're in the dark. A suspect who has just committed a violent crime, you're pursuing him over fences, in backyards. He turns around, comes towards you with something in his hand. I don't know how a reasonable person wouldn't also be scared for their life. You know, all these police officers, they do that training simulator every year. They'd like to do it even even more for better training, but essentially... You get every officer in there every every year. Now you have uh, firearms control safety procedures that actually done get done monthly. Well, that's handling your firearm. That special training with the um, the video and the special uh, toy gun that you simulate the actual thing. That's that's something special. That's something new, and it's hard to make that assessment in less time than it takes to uh, reasonably think about things. We're talking less than a second. You have to make the determination, is that thing they're pulling out a gun, a knife, or are they just being foolishly taking their wallet out really quickly? Well, and we remove, we remove all criminality from the criminal and common sense, and we place it all in the officer. No, oh, that's right. Well, why did you shoot him? Well, why did you turn around and not comply and acted like he had something. There's so many of these stories have come over the past few years. I think anybody knows now that you just comply with the officer. If you fight or you make some kind of movement that they're going to perceive as threatening, you're not going to win. Like, I don't know. I don't know what, what makes people think they're going to win. Like you don't get away from the police helicopter Anybody who's grown up in L.A. and watched chases their whole life, you don't get away from the copter, right? And if you get into a fight, especially when you have a lot of cops on scene and you're already being pursued, you're not going to win. It doesn't turn out well for you. The time to settle it is in court, not when you're involved in an altercation with the cops, you know? And I think what makes us even more dishonest is when we start trying to finagle the statistics to make it about a race thing. Like white cops are just looking for black males to kill. And you'll always see this stat that black males are disproportionately involved in these lethal shootings with police officers. But what you never hear is that they commit a disproportionate amount of the violent crime. So it's not that that's a disproportionate like per capita number because they're a minority of the population. You need to look at the subset of people that commit crime and realize that there are a majority of the people that commit crime in the bigger pie. Um, I think what's also an interesting stat is black males have made up 42% of all the cop killers over the last decade. You're actually, there's an 18.5 ratio uh, that actually got worse in 2016 um, that makes cops more likely to be killed by a black male than a black male is to be killed by a cop. Hmm. But I'm so sick and tired of hearing the narrative to the point where we want to just now make it more difficult for cops to use lethal force to save somebody's life or their life. We saw what happened when California basically chose not to incarcerate anybody anymore. 
And then we see what happens when we put cops in this light. They just don't enforce. They don't enforce crime anymore. Yeah, it it's hard not to start to think. Uh, as as so many of these, um, you know, government edicts, bills, rules have, the secondary and tertiary effects of these sorts of things going in into effect when they pass. And and to your point, Louis, you can't help but think that understandably is going to change the approach and the attitude of police officers if this if they're held to this sort of standard. And look, in some cases that might be okay. It, just like with politicians, though I would argue a higher percentage, it, it doesn't matter the vocation. All vocations have a percentage of people in that vocation that are that are corrupt, that are immoral. Got it. Cops they're not some magically different entity just like politicians aren't, just like fill in the blank. But for the most part, you're going to have on average, the average police officer just want to engage less. Otherwise, they might find themselves, I don't know, certainly in a lawsuit, maybe jail, who knows? You know, when they were talking about AB 931 uh, on the floor, or actually the committee hearing, uh, we had Assemblyman Weber who was out there, and he, for those of you who don't know, he's an African-American himself, and he was talking about the the day he taught his son uh, his first day of uh, driving when he was 16. And he was sharing the story about how he had to uh, teach his son how to address uh, an officer properly. And he went on to say that he's amazed that his white colleagues would never have to make that, uh, that teachable moment of how to address an officer with respect. And he was, he was going on and about, you know, supporting this bill from reasonable to necessary. But it's something that I find kind of shocking that he himself never bothered to teach respect to his son. And it kind of goes to what you were saying, Louis. Well, why do these people run from the helicopter? Obviously, they're never going to make it. You know, why when they get pulled over for a ticket, and this is a lot of people, why do they feel that it is necessary to insult the officer, make a ruckus, and be as violent as possible? Right. Yeah. To the point where it's like you should get classified as looking for suicide by cop. Like if you're mm. going to turn around towards the cops in a threatening manner with something in your hand, you're asking to die. You know you're at gunpoint. Like you just listen to the orders. Get down, cross your feet, put your hands behind your head, interlock your fingers. Just comply. And you know what? Deal with it in court. And you're not going to get roughed. And this whole notion that white cops are just out to kill minorities is is crazy. Absolutely crazy. And none of the numbers justify any of it. Like, like I said at the beginning of the segment, over 1 million arrests in California in 2017. You had 306,000 felonies and 784 misdemeanors. And out of those uh, 306,000 felonies, 111 of them were vi- 111,000 of them were for violent crimes. And only 170 people killed. Right? And even if this was unjustifiable homicide, it's kind of insignificant. The, you, the 170 yeah. out of? Yeah. Out of uh, 1 million. What is it, like 0.02% or something? Yeah. I mean, I, it's- 
and then we're going to say, I'm going to say, even without knowing anything, a, a crap ton of these are justified homicides, right? I'll even give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's say 70 out of the 100 were unjustified. 70 out of a million? That's crazy. There's an interesting element in here. It's a little bit of a tangent, but I think it applies. We, we've actually never, I don't think we've ever talked about this off air. I actually see this as, uh, uh, and we're kind of seeing some recent, uh, some recent news and coverage of the fact that body cameras in these sorts of instances kind of go uh, or, or help, it seems like in some of the articles I've read recently, exonerate police officers in some of these instances. And I feel like these sorts of things would kind of put an interesting spin, a body camera would. Because to, to your point right there, Louis, we, I think, I mean, I don't know for well, sure. Well, they were talking about this gentleman exactly. Uh, I've forgotten his name. Stephon Clark. Clark, thank you. And they released the, the, the body cam footage. And sure enough, he made a really violent move towards his uh, cell phone. And, and it also turns out that the family had a GoFundMe page. They're raising money to bury Clark next to his brother, who was also killed by gun violence. So there's clearly a history of violent crimes in the family. And I, I hate to sit there and make assumptions, but I'm going to say that you're already in trouble with the law. You're being raised in a family where trouble with the law clearly is running rampant. I I don't see that as being the cop's problem. You know? And this just goes to, like, what you said, respect and everything else. I, I mean, I hate to sound like an old man. When I was raised, like, you would never back talk a police officer. Right. But now everybody feels like it's their hill to die on, literally, right. that I'm going to show, you know, I'm going to show this pig what's up and I'm going to get them on YouTube or I'm going to do something and you end up losing. Right. Are there bad cops? Sure. Is it anywhere near a number that's even worth talking about? No. Right. It, no. It, it's such a different way of life from any other job in the world. I mean, there's pretty much, I can't think of another job in America where you're more hated for trying to do the right thing and keep people safe. Where there are people actively out to try and kill you every day. Talk about our, our, our Yelp review sort of deal. Like it's the extreme, right? You're, oh, yeah. It's, it's bad reviews, so to speak. Well, and you're always, I, I shouldn't say always, your job is to be the bearer of bad news, right? So your contact with the public is usually going to be somewhat negative. They violated a law or committed some kind of crime and you're writing a site or you're making an arrest you're somebody's bad day. Like if you were a Yelp business, you'd have really bad reviews, right? I mean, and there's no way around it. Exactly. You're already behind the eight ball on that. So I don't, I'm so, I just, I bring the story up because I'm tired of seeing manipulated numbers. And all we keep seeing, if you actually dig in the data, is that there's really no numbers to justify any of the hate. You know, one thing I, I thought was kind of funny, and we were talking about it earlier. So this site that has all these numbers, I think it's only been in existence for two years or something. And it's because Sacramento really wanted transparency, you know, in the, again, I think in some degree to start building. When we talk about California, we talk about transparency. Exactly. That's what's so funny, right? Is is they get something like this news story or these sorts of numbers. And again, in my opinion, it's because they want to build a narrative around certain things. Yet when it comes, like we've talked about in past episodes, when it comes to finding like very transparent information and a calendar of bills, that's nowhere to be found. Right. 
so why this? And we get like more data than you can shake a stick at, but what they're actually working on to pass and I don't know. I don't know what's coming up. Right. Well, well, they do that on purpose. No. Oh, well, you know, what they do is they end up, they only leak information when they're trying to shop something around. They go, you know, you know, we're thinking about this bill and affects bakers and, uh, oh, you don't like that? Well, maybe we'll adjust it a little bit. And, uh, oh, yeah. And then, uh, and then all of a sudden it's brought to the floor and they, you have three days to look at it all. And so disgustingly obvious. It's a joke. That's all I got for today. So with that, let's let's go to another joke. The James Woods Tweet of the Week. Yes, I This is a big one. On July 16th, we've got Hillary Clinton herself tweeting. Great World Cup. Question for President Trump as he meets Putin. Do you know which team you play for? Oh, my God. Nice. James Wood says, that question has been whispered often about you. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll just leave that at that. I don't even know why she's still punking around. She's got nothing better to do. She's unemployed. That's true. You want to talk about the walking embodiment of bitter. (laughs) Totally. That lady. Super bitter. Well, another week down. Thanks for joining us. New episodes every Wednesday at 8 in the morning, available on the Apple iTunes and Google Store. Talk to you guys later. Thanks for listening. Burn it all down.